I want to ask an important question as we get going this morning. Um, when you profess faith in Christ, you say, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. Well, how do we know? And when we ask that question, how do I know for sure you are a genuine believer? It gets serious real fast. Because if you're not a believer, well, you're not following Christ into heaven. You're going to hell. So it gets real serious real quick. And yet, we want to get serious. We want to have definitive answers to the question. Yes, I am a believer, and I know I am a believer. The book of 1 John focus a lot, as I've already shared with you, on the word know, K-N-O-W. You can know things, and you can know you're a believer for sure. Um, our nation says 90 some odd percent says we're Christians. Well, are we? Uh, do we really live that way? Um, a church statistic that comes out uh, came out recently said three out of four church members are considered inactive members. Now, we don't have an inactive role at New Covenant. We don't, we don't go there. We can't find inactive members in the Bible. Everyone who is a true believer is active in Christ. You're actively worshiping. You're actively reading your Bibles. You're actively praying. You're actively living the Word of God. There's no inactive believer that I can find in the Bible. So if, you, if you're inactive in our church... For we just kind of set arbitrarily a year. If we don't see you in church, we don't see you actively working out your faith um, in Christ, we take you off the role. We don't have an inactive role. We only maintain an active role. But many churches, or the, the average church, three out of four said they, they are on the role, but they're not active. To me, that's unloving. Because many people think if your name's on the roll, you've got some assurance. Somebody's listened to your testimony and they have affirmed it. They've confirmed, yep, we believe you're a believer and should be on the roll. And then if you can be inactive, they're confirming that that's okay. And yet you might be walking into the pits of hell. So it's not okay. And to me, it's terribly unloving to affirm someone's salvation if it's not genuine. So I want us to look at that. That's where God leads us in 1 John. Before we get there, look at Matthew chapter 7. Very popular passage. And you kind of get introduced to this whole theme at this point. Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 21. This is the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And he says this in Matthew 21, excuse me, 7, verse 21 to uh, verse 23. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, just think and imagine that. Jesus said, some people see me as the Savior. They see me as Lord. Not everyone who comes and makes that profession is really going to the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does, so there's something to do here, the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you, and notice the description, workers of lawlessness. So the two groups that Jesus gives us here are those who do the will or do the law of God 
and those who do not work the law of God. The law of God is extremely important to Christ. He says those who obey and do it, they will enter heaven. The others who don't do it will not enter heaven. He says you can know the tree by its fruit right now. Uh, it's obvious. There are keepers of the law and those who do not keep. And then some people say, but, but yeah, maybe we didn't do all of the law, but we prayed and we prophesied. We saw miracles happen as we were involved in ministry. In other words, we can create a picture of obedience and still not be obedient. And we know that in our own lives. People who look the part who do not live the part. Let's look at 1 John chapter 2 as John brings us into this whole subject of two things, living the precepts. You can affirm, and I'm going to say this enough, I hope you won't miss it as you leave. We're talking about affirming or confirming your profession of faith. We're not talking about earning it. At no point am I talking about earning it to the, this morning. We're talking about confirming it. You've already claimed that you're a believer. How do we confirm that? How do we affirm it? Two things are mentioned in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. And those things, we affirm it by living the precepts and by loving the people. So we're living the law of God. We're loving the people of God. And you'll see it as I read. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know Him. Now this is how we can confirm it. If we keep His commandments, whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in Him. See, it gets real serious real quick. Same thing we saw in Matthew 7. He says He's a believer, and yet He's not keeping the law. It says right here, he says he's a believer, but he's not keeping the commandments. If that's the case, you're lying. Truth's not in you. Verse 5. Whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. So we don't just talk the talk. We ought to walk the walk. That's living the precepts. Verse 7, we get to the confirmation of loving the people. Verse 7, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light's already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother, still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Um, I hope you begin to see two strong things that are of confirmation. Living the law of God, loving the people of God. Let's first start with living the precepts, uh, verses 3 through 6. We saw in verse 1 that we have an advocate. The advocate is Jesus Christ. He's pleading our case. He's our Savior. He's our Redeemer. You say, well, how do I know? 
And he immediately after verse 1 and 2 gets into verse 3. Well, I can show you how you know. Because if, if he comes into your life, he comes in bringing his righteousness, which is consistent with his law. He comes in bringing his spirit that moves you to want to keep his law. And we'll know by keeping his commands. We'll know by our obedience. Um, by this, verse 3, we know that we have come to know Him. So we know the Advocate's ours. We know Him. He knows us if we keep His commandments. Because this is such a strong theme in the book of 1 John, I'm going to take some time, not just this morning, to talk about God's commands. Because first of all, for me to keep the commands, I've got to know the commands. And so I'll back up before we keep going in this book and explain all of the commands of God to us so that we, we know them and we can keep them and see the importance of it. And I think it's more important now than ever. This is one of the reasons I wanted to come to this book because now more than ever in my lifetime anyway, America seems to be lawless. We seem to be without a desire to keep commands. And we got to get back to it as the church so that we can bring revival to our land. We've got to get back to the law of God and keeping the law of God. So I want to spend some time getting us back there, knowing the commands uh, and keeping them. Um, we, why are we lawless? Keeping God's commands aren't natural. You don't do that naturally. You're not born wanting to keep God's commands. That changes when you become a believer, when Christ comes into your life. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. Let's just work through it real quick. And you see how we were born. We're born disobedient, not obedient. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked. So we're talking about a spiritually dead person because you're up walking around. You once walked following the course of this world. The world is not keeping God's commands. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. See, that's how we're born. We're born dead in our sins, born dead to the law of God. We walk in disobedience, not in obedience. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So we were under the anger and wrath of God. That's why we needed an advocate to come between us and plead our case. When he pleads our case, he knows our nature before Christ. He says, I know your nature is not to be obedient. You're children of disobedience. I'm going to change that. And you see, he does. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's a new nature. We've been changed by mercy, by God's grace, when you're made alive together with Christ. Skip down to verse 8. By grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not as a result of work. So you didn't work your way to heaven or work your way to God. You didn't earn it. Not a result of work so that you may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
So when we receive Christ, we then start walking in obedience. That's confirmation. Because I wasn't doing that before. We know if you're a true believer, if you start walking in obedience, you start keeping God's commands, because that's not the way you were born. That's not what you would naturally do. It's not something any non-Christian naturally does. This is unique to believers. Knowing the commands, keeping the commands, and walking in the commands, which is why John brings it up, is confirmation. We know it. Can we fake it? To, you know, to a, a small degree, you can, but you can't fake it very long. It becomes very clear uh, your motives, your heart, your practice, whether or not you keep God's commands and love Him. Look at John 17, verse 6. John 17, verse 6. Jesus talking to God the Father and praying. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were. You gave them to me. They've kept your word. Would, God, would Jesus say that of you? You say, well, Jesus saved me. Okay. Jesus is saying, you know, if God the Father says, is that true? Jesus says, yes, they were in the world. You gave them to me. I saved them. And you know that they're saved. Why? Because they keep your word. Their nature's been changed. They are now obedient. They are living the precepts. That's what Jesus says of his people. They are people who are keeping his words. Um, you know, I've asked people, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, what does that mean? I mean, if God was to say, why should I let you in heaven, what would you say? I said, he said, well, I'd, I'd say I was a, a good person. I hadn't hurt anybody. But that doesn't make you a Christian. That just makes you a nice guy. Anybody could say I was a good person. I didn't hurt anybody. Uh, what makes me know that you truly are living the Christian life and not just a humanitarian good life? Look at John 14. The same, the same person wrote John, the gospel in 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. So great commentary on one another. Look at John 14, verse 15. Straight from the mouth of Jesus, he says this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Wow. It's not hard to figure out what he means. If you love me, you'll do what I say. You'll keep my commandments. Uh, look over at um, verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he's the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself. To him. So you got to know them, you got to keep them. And in so doing, you love Jesus. Verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Promises that we are going to be in heaven, and the confirmation of it is that we love him now by keeping his commandments. It just comes over and over. Uh, back in 1 John chapter 2, it interesting word, verse 5 says, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. The word perfected there is used in the sense of you've reached 
fullness. You've reached maturity. The one who keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is mature. It's, 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 it's reached this perfected state. That doesn't mean we're sinless. We're completely perfect. It just means we're mature. It means we get it. It means our salvation is true. It's confirmed. And we do what? We walk. Verse 6. The same way Jesus walked. I'm not going to take the time this morning, but look up how Jesus walked. Look up how he even said it is baptism. He said, I must fulfill all righteousness. I must, even on the cross, he says, not my will. I am here to do the will of him who sent me. I am here to be obedient. So if you're going to walk like Jesus walked, it's going to be a, a walk of obedience. You've got to obey something, someone, and that something is the commands of God. And it's Christ that we are obeying. Genuine profession of faith comes forth in a genuine Christ-like performance. We walk as Christ walked. And that was consistent with His commands. Now, second confirmation. We're confirmed as believers because we're keeping walking according to God's commands. We're also loving God's people. We love the brothers. 1 John 2, verses 7 through 11 is dealing with this test of loving one another. Uh, he begins by saying, not a new commandment. Beloved, verse 7, I'm writing you no new commandment. It's an, actually, it's an old commandment. Um, you can look it up. It's in Leviticus 19, verse 18, where it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Old commandment. All the way back in Leviticus. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, and yet, it's, it's, it's not new, but there is a newness to it. And the newness to it really would ring true with the Jew. It should ring true with us too. It's interesting the language he uses, verse 8. He says, at the same time, it is new, a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. He says, the newness now is in Christ. Christ has done something to make the old command of loving your neighbor new. And you can see it in Christ. And you can also see it in you guys. That's where it's new. You didn't used to could see it the way you can see it now. Uh, let me just give you a few verses real quick to, to explain it to you. Look at Acts chapter 10, verse 28. Acts 10, 28. Here's a description of the early church before Christ. Acts 10, verse 28. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. See, the Jews were told when they were a national church, they were God's national special people. And they were told, you've got to love your nation. You've got to surround one another. You've got to protect one another. You'll even be fighting against other nations and you need to kill and destroy them. But you love the Jew. You love each other. And so as they work through that being that identity of being God's national church, they learn to love Jews and Jews only. 
That was the old commandment. You, you still love. The love of neighbor was a love for Jew. And then God showed Peter here in this passage in Acts. And through Christ coming to the world, it became clear that the Jew was no longer going to just love Jew. It was going to love every nation, tribe, and tongue. That Jesus, in Jesus, the love of Christ was going to every ethnic group. And it did. And that's the newness. And the church began to see that. And instead of just being a Jewish church, the church began to embrace every ethnic group. I'll give you some of those verses so that you, you have that for, for understanding. Look at Luke 2. I love this. As soon as Jesus shows up on the scene as a baby. Luke chapter 2. The, de- the declaration is made that this is not just going to be a Jewish thing. Uh, Simeon, who's been waiting for the Savior to come, is in the temple. And he's been promised, you're not going to die until you see him. And as soon as uh, Jesus, his parents walk in the door, Simeon is told by the Holy Spirit, here's your man. Verse uh, 26, Luke 2. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, not just Jewish people, all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. See, he knew this was happening. Christ was coming to be a light for Gentiles and Jews. Remember back in 1 John, you're either in the light or you're walking in darkness. Christ is the light. It's a symbolical statement of being in Christ and in his commands. Christ was coming to be a light to us to Gentiles, not just coming to be a king over the Jews. Look at Acts 26, verse 23. Acts 26, verse 23. says, And the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, He would proclaim light, both to our people, that's the Jew, and to the Gentiles. That's what was new. Christ was coming to provide light to Jew and Gentiles alike. And as Jews and Gentiles being combined into one family, they would love one another. You get that back in 1 John chapter 2. The emphasis, verse 9, who do you need to love? What's, as soon as he says, this is new in him, it's new in you. Notice the emphasis, verse 9. Whoever says he's in the light, so you're in Christ, And hates the language, his brother. Not hates the world. Hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And then again in verse 11, the emphasis on his brother. It's the brotherhood that we have in Christ. We are now adopted into the family of God. We're brothers. Brothers and sisters in Christ. And that changes the love. John 13. Now go back to John 13, which you've heard many times, and it makes sense. John 13, 34 and 35 says this. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, 
See, it's not really a new. It's, it was old, but it's new in this way. I give to you that you love one another just as I've loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. It's a love for the church, the brotherhood of Christ. Now, go back to my illustration. The guy said, well, you know, I love people. I'm good. I'm not talking about a humanitarian love. There must be something in the text that distinguishes good humanitarians, good people, from Christians. And what it is is a love for the brothers in Christ, the brothers of Christ. It's a love for the church. You don't just love the law of God, but you love the people of God. And you're known as a lover of the people of God. All the people in the world know the church loves the church. Jesus, that's what's new about it. The whole world, every nation is going to know the church loves the church. The church loves its own. Because Christ is the head. Christ is over. And we're under Christ. Now, as I thought about the text, okay, it's pretty clear. I can know if I'm a Christian by whether I live the precepts and love the people. Sometimes the love part gets a little confusing. Because we all know people that they're just good at loving people. And so it gets a little confusing it's because we also know some people who claim to be Christians who are terrible at loving people. And so we're, sometimes we get confused. The Christians are supposed to be known for loving at least a particular group, the people called the church. They're supposed to be good at it, not terrible at it. We're supposed to be known for it. It's supposed to be our reputation. And yet sometimes a non-Christian comes along, he even tells us, oh, I don't, I'm not religious, I don't follow Christ. But he's very good at taking care of people. And that confuses us. So how do we, how do we get out of that? It's, like I said, it's got to be something unique to the family of God, our love for the church. The non-Christian doesn't love the church. It's often offended by the church. It's often repulsed by the church. Christian loves the church. We must be good churchmen in the sense we're always pro-church. We care for the church. Let me deal, deal with two lies. I know it's this, I had a two-point sermon. I got to make it three, okay? Two lies. Two lies that I hear almost every time I bring up this subject. I know you're a Christian if you're living the precepts and loving the people. Do you do that? And people say, where do you get that? Well, I get it from right here. Well, the, the person who claims to be a Christian often will throw this lie back, and this lie comes straight for the, from the deceiver. The lie is, has God not said we are no longer under the law? So you said, true believers keep the law. I thought God said we're no longer under the law. So I think you're wrong. You don't have to keep the law. We're no longer under the law. Well, let's look at where it says that. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. So easy to see what's going on here. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. 
Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Look at the context. Look at what's going on here. He's not talking about, earn, he's not talking about confirming salvation. He's talking about the person prior to being saved. How do we get saved? We're under the law. We're born under the law. We're born under condemnation. And we will stay under the condemnation of the law until what? Until faith comes. Not until you work your way out of it. Not until you start keeping the law. You get out from under the law when faith comes. In other words, the law is fulfilled through faith. I trust that Jesus completely kept the law for me. My faith is in Jesus. It's not in me doing something. It's in Jesus doing something for me. When faith comes, I'm free to walk how? In the law. I used to be under it, condemned by it, couldn't keep it, couldn't use it for anything, to earn anything. But through faith in Christ, now I can walk in it. So the bondage to the law was in the, in the area of justification. Look over at uh, chapter 5 of Galatians, beginning at verse 18. If you are now led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And notice how he starts giving, he said, like, this is obvious. People who are not under the law, they have works of the flesh. This is what they do. And he starts giving a list. Sexual immorality, sexual impurity, sensuality. What's that? That's breaking sixth commandment, seventh commandment, tenth commandment, idolatry. Breaking the first commandment, second commandment. I mean, just, he starts listing these things. He says, now we're led by the Spirit. We don't do these things. Now we live consistent with the law of God. So the whole argument that, oh, Christians, we're not under the law, we don't, means we don't have to keep the law. No, no, no. We never, had, we never could keep the law to get saved. It wasn't until faith came that we had the possibility of salvation. Through faith in Christ, we are saved and can be saved. The law was not, um, the law was just keeping us from salvation because we could never keep it. But now we want to keep it because we're in Christ. And led by the Spirit, that's what everyone who's led by the Spirit does. That confirms that we're believers because we keep the law, not to earn salvation, because the one who's now part of us, it's now part of our nature too. Christ in us, his nature is to keep the law. It's part of us, too, to keep it. Um, some people say, well, I've heard people say sometimes the law is Old Testament and grace is New Testament. Old Testament's gone, New Testament's here, so now we're under grace instead of the law. What books have I been working out of this morning? New Testament books. Started with Matthew, keep the law. Started with John, keep the law. First John, keep the law. If you're, if you're a New Testament, even if you were just a New Testament believer, I'm not. I'm a whole Bible believer. But even if you were just New Testament, you keep the law. The law is what believers do. Jesus said in John 15, He said, you love me, you keep my law. 
It's not rocket science. You love me, you do it the way I want to do it. And the way I want to do it is consistent with my law. You led by my spirit, you quit living together. You quit the sexual immorality. You quit the sensuality. You start living according to the law. It's different. And the world sees that it's different. That confirms that you are mine, they are theirs. You are, that confirms that Jesus' words in Matthew 7, that I know you. We're on the same page. You walk as I walk. And my walk is consistent with the law. Um, second lie I hear. First lie is God not said we're no longer under the law. Second lie, has God not said that we shouldn't associate with some so-called brothers? So the idea is, well, I don't have to, yeah, I know I'm supposed to love the church, but I don't have to love all of the church because some of the church, God said, you're not supposed to associate with that part. Okay, well, what part would that be? Well, we've got to look at that to make sure. And when you look at that, you see that that part of the church you're, you don't have to love or you don't associate with is that part who claims to be a Christian and they're not walking the law. Let me show it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians 5. Was that where I, w- I just was? So just uh, 1 Corinthians 5. It says, verse 9, I wrote to you in, a, in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning. I'm trying to clear this up, make it as clear as I can for you. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world. Or the greedy, or the swindlers, or the idolaters. Since then you would need to get out of the world. You can't do that. Verse 11. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. I don't want you to make the brothers of Christ think that they're okay if he's guilty of sexual immorality and greed and idolatry, a reviler, a drunkard, or a swindler. He said, the people you don't associate with, people who aren't walking the walk, and you let them know they're not walking the walk, that they're in danger of walking into the pits of hell, which is what First John says, they're blinded. They're blinded by their own darkness. They don't even see that they're walking into hellish pits but you can see it if you're a believer because you can discern their walk their walk is consistent with a love for the church not just a love for themselves um, what if, so what if we disagree with other Christians are we still supposed to love them yes what if they're not our race if they're in a different eth- ethnic group are we supposed to love them by all means that's the newness of the command that we're loving all who are in Christ. What if they don't dress the way we dress? We're supposed to love them. What if they don't like the same praise music we like? We're supposed to love them. What if they drink alcohol and we don't? We're supposed to love them as brothers in Christ. If they are walking consistent with the commands of God and living a, a love for the church, we're supposed to love them and we're supposed to have a reputation for loving them. When you see churches dividing and people pulling back from love, and I've had people do that. It just breaks my heart. 
when I go to someone, I say, you know, what do I have to do to be your brother, to love you? You say you're a Christian. I say I'm a Christian, but it's clear you don't like me for some reason. What's, what's up? What do I have to do? So, well, I don't like your music, and I don't like the way you dress, and I don't like the way you sing, and I don't like the way you drink, and I don't like the way you eat, and I don't like your denomination. And I said, well, we're supposed to love each other. Didn't say we had to agree on all those things. We, we just spent a lot of time in here on Romans 14, 15, and 16 saying how to love the people we disagree with. And instead of loving them and embracing them, we keep creating barriers that keep us from loving each other. And we're supposed to have a reputation for loving the church, for loving the brothers. Matter, I believe it was pretty hard for the Jew, the first century Jew, to start reaching out and embracing the first Gentile believer. Because they had been told, those people are disgusting. They don't dress right. They don't eat right. They don't drink right. They are disgusting. And then Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. Did you see what I just did? I just washed your feet. I want you to do that with the church. I want you to embrace people that are dirty. Because they're your brothers. And it's a new commandment that you love your brothers. And you do so consistent with the law of God. And people will know you are my disciples the people know it do you know it firmly we'll look at it more and more each week but do we know God's commands keep God's commands and distinguish that we are indeed God's people you know it's no real difference in marriage uh, if a couple came and got married they take vows that's the laws of marriage and usually those vows involve, in some way, being faithful to one another, right? So if all of a sudden the husband or the wife says, well, I want an open marriage, and I don't want to be just exclusively yours, or I want to do these things that show I want to play around, I say, well, wait, wait, you're breaking the law of marriage. You, you promised you would live faithful until death do us part. That's... That was the laws. You said you would walk consistent with those laws. And you also promised that you would love me. And now it seems like you're, you're dividing from me. You're acting like you're already divorced, right? How about our relationship with God? God says, let me be your Savior. I come to save you, to make you my own. So I get that, and I get that you've got laws, and I'm supposed to be faithful to you, but there's some other so-called gods I want to worship. And God said, wait, 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 wait. That's not faithful. You're acting already like we're divorced. If you're not keeping my laws, and if you're not loving the family, the family of God, the others that I've purchased with my blood. Keeping God's laws and loving His church... It's not complicated, yet we hear lies from the evil one, from the pits of hell, to not make these our distinguishing characteristics. And we've got a society that's running rampant in lawlessness and selfishness instead of law. May God bring us back. May we truly be the light of Christ, the love of his heart. May the world see 
and be drawn to him. If you're here this morning and say, man, David, I've, I've not been living consistent with God's law. And I've really not even given a thought to, to loving the church, really. I thought I just came to get stuff from the church. Well, then God in his mercy may just be showing you your need for Christ. And you can receive him now. If faith shows up, if God gives you the ability to trust Christ, trust him now. You'll see a new nature take off and you'll start knowing and keeping God's commands and loving his church. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, your truth. We need it. The world doesn't feed us. The world's not our master. We've got to, oh Lord, come back to Christ. We need to be nourished at your cross by your word. We need to love as you love. We need to live as you live. Let us live the precepts of God. Let us love the people of God. For those, Lord, in this room who need Jesus, grant them the ability, the faith to believe, to trust Christ right now. May they reach out. Lord, I need you. I need you to give me a new nature, an ability to know and keep your commands and love your church. Father, forgive us where we have not confirmed our salvation. For your honor and glory. Let us confirm it today, this week, that we are those that are yours. And we give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.